This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. So these episodes are unique. These are what I'm calling the PC episodes, not politically correct, pre-COVID. So it turns out, of course, as probably happened for lots of creatives, is you were in a rhythm, you're in a momentum, maybe recording a bunch of podcasts, maybe writing a bunch of new content, and then boom, COVID hit. And productivity took on a new path. As I was going through the archives of episodes, I recognized that there were a handful of them that never actually got published. However, there's some fantastic conversations that I think are worth sharing. So the PC episodes are following a similar rhythm to the conversations that you've gotten used to featuring some amazing guests that I think you really will find entertaining and inspiring. So I'm going to go ahead and share them with you anyway. So go ahead and get comfortable, sit back, maybe rewind your mind back to the year 2019 PC. Will be amazing. So we're going to start with um, just a brief introduction, if you would tell the listeners your name, where you're from, and what you're most passionate about. Okay. Uh, hi, <laughs> listeners. Uh, my name is Dwayne Cox II. I uh, graduated from college with a screenwriting history major. Uh, the stuff I love to talk about are film, uh, TV, video games, and almost pretty much any form of entertainment media. I, um, due to my screenwriting degree, I like to dissect it and give its overall meaning to culture, the human condition and whatnot. Also, I, from time to time, talk about my challenges with Asperger and autism and how I've lived with that for the past 22 years and how that's affected me going forward and what, how I plan to combine both my skills and my challenges into making me a better person. Mm, I like that. Good answer. So if I had to, if you had to pick between film TV and video games, which of the three would you say that you spend the most time with, or is it like equal across the board? I would say it's very equal. Lately I haven't been playing too many games because I'm just trying to find a good one. And, Mm. and, I'm a little bit low on, on budgeting right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just trying to find one that, especially since, you know, quality in games can be so fluctuating. Same as it right. can be for movies. Mm-hmm. 
That's a good point. What was the, I would say, what's the last best video game that you played? Well, um, ironically enough is I actually just finished um, the remastered version of the Ghostbusters video game that came out back in 2011. Okay. They, um, the company remastered it for quite recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed what they did with it. So what this game was, was essentially it was written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, the original writers of the first two movies, mm-hmm. as well as used the voices of Bill Murray, um, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, okay. and... Um, Oh, oh geez, I'm I'm blanking. Who's that guy? On... The guy who played Ernie Hebert? Ernie Hudson. Er- Hudson. Okay, yeah, not Ernie Hebert. Hudson. They actually had okay. their voices. And... Oh, on the remastered version or this one from? No, no, the no. remastered. It, oh, okay, on both versions, it had. Oh, okay, it, got it. It had their voices, and it honestly did feel like a true Ghostbusters three. Honestly, so mm. that's why I was. It was like mm-hmm. my little Halloween game. Okay. I like that. I like that. So what gaming system are you using to play to play on? Uh, PlayStation 4. PlayStation 4. And have you always been like a PlayStation 4 gamer? Have you ever switched to the, the dark side of the Xbox? Or? <laughs> well, funnily enough, for the longest time, I had an Xbox uh, 360. And then okay. somehow, but at the same time, I actually had a PS3 also. So I kind of had a little bit of the best of both worlds for a while. But now I'm fully a PS a PlayStation gamer. Okay, gotcha. And so we're going to switch gears a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your interest in TV. What are what would you say is your favorite genre for television? I love action television. Um mm-hmm. I think I might want to get into more comedy related television, but you know, comedy is always a subjective thing mm-hmm. and you know, I I it would be much more fun if I was like watching it with somebody, you know, mm-hmm. if I, if I wanted to take a minute to like binge the office or Brooklyn nine, nine or something like that. Cause I mm-hmm. keep hearing great stuff about that content. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't actually, I've only seen like a couple episodes of, of both the office and Brooklyn nine, nine. Um, the last comedy i would say that i really watched in full like as far as binging was to go back and watch uh seinfeld uh. from like season one till season forever and i think what i like about like the comedies from the late 80s and early 90s that just the concept of a sitcom i don't know if there's really much of that anymore except for what was the show um now i'm blanking is um with sheldon the main oh, character Big Bang uh, theory what did you think about that? I never actually watched much of Big Bang Theory, but the, ironically, the funny thing is I keep getting the illusions that anybody with autism is basically Sheldon Cooper, which is so far from the case. Interesting. So do you, is, his, is his character said to be autistic? or I don't spec- know, but the thing mm. is almost all the iterations you see of autism in TV – generally mm. match that you know or generally okay. match something like that in a sense so what what like what like give me an example of what you see in that character that well i don't really even watch the show too much so i can't speak too oh, much right. on it but okay you know um uh reserved very matter of factual or mm. um mm-hmm. very hard social cues which are 
honest mm-hmm. traits of people with autism, but it's just mm-hmm. that, you know, I feel like, and this is like a whole other conversation we can have, but mm-hmm. it's like the different nuances with autism are different in every single person with, that has it. Right. Right. So like sometimes in entertainment media, do you find that the characteristics of people with autism or people that are on the autism spectrum, that the characteristics that are portrayed in entertainment media are just like a small facet, so to speak? In- of Incredibly what... small okay. facet, like okay. incredible, like okay. it's just, it's maybe, it's literally just a, a little chunk of a much larger iceberg. Mm, and yeah. and and in in all actuality, I don't feel like the full breadth of it is really delved into because if you think about it, if you can, I can count the amount of autistic characters I've seen on TV on maybe one hand. Right. I can count the number of non-white autistic characters mm. on maybe less, and and the same goes for female autistic characters. Mm. That's a good point. That's a good point because I think that that's probably something that um, like entertainment media in general, I believe, could, you know, use some work when it comes to diversity and inclusion as far as representing the overall human condition and various different types of people and, you know, ages and cultures, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that because of um, more visibility around autism that's happening in real life, that there's definitely space for it to be portrayed on the screen as well. And, and like you said, to have characters that are female and people of color so that it kind of, just like back in the day when there was like never black people on television or there were never people who were Asian were on TV or if they were, they were kind of pigeonholed into certain roles or, you know, writers would take just certain stereotypical traits of these people based on what they thought as opposed to like having representations of people that are more reality based as opposed to just stereotypes you know so yeah I can I can see that so how about film what are the I know this is going to be a tough one for you to answer but probably not what are the best three films you've seen in 2019 2019 only 2019 okay (laughs) okay what are the best three films I've seen in are they films that would have had to have come out in 2019 no, no, not necessarily. Just I would say from like January 1, 2019 till today, November 8, 2019, okay. best three films you've seen this year. Okay, well, just for the, the sheer, pure enjoyment popcorn flick was okay. Avengers Endgame, which if I'm being real with you, I do feel you're still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, mm-hmm. That Avengers Endgame was... For me, I think mm-hmm. that's the end of the MCU. I know they're still coming out with new mm-hmm. movies, but okay. the way they've sort of capped off the original Avengers stories, mm-hmm. I just feel like, I don't know, like most of it's just not going to be, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll still follow yeah. along with it, but I feel like okay. a lot of the emotional investment Yes. Kind of went out with the previous guys we built up with. Iron Man died. I mean, spoiler like to anybody who hasn't seen it. But honestly, sorry. If, oh, anybody, yeah, sorry. if you haven't seen it yet, if I'm anybody sorry. hasn't seen it by now, then don't go on the internet. 
<laughs> at all. At all. Don't like, go on the seriously. internet at all. There's going to be a meme or something that's going to spoil it for you. Something but yes. kicks me off about that when people say spoiler after they explicitly go onto the internet or any site <laughs> where they run that risk. It's like sticking your hand in fire and then being mad at the fire for be like burning burn it. alert yeah. right exactly <laughs> exactly well yeah spoiler alert and sorry yeah so i agree i think i mean even if you just look at the title of the film endgame the intention is we're ending something here and this isn't going to be like avengers resurrection later like i i felt that sense of finality as well with endgame and i think that's why it took me a while to actually go to the theater to see it because i knew Without, you know, necessarily knowing exactly how things were going to unfold, I knew that it was going to be the last of its kind. And like you you touched on something important where you said like the emotional investment as a viewer isn't going to be there for any subsequent films that come after that. Now, what are your thoughts on Black Panther sequel that's projected to come out in the next couple of years as far as a continuation of that universe? What do you think about that? Well, I do believe that... Um... For the the Black Panther uh, the movie, obviously that movie stomped records, mm. and that movie did insane at the box office. It's just mm-hmm. that I'm trying to think about logistically what the story is going to be because a mm-hmm. two of his most prominent villains, Claw, who was played by Andy Serkis, and Killmonger, who was played by Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. are gone or, or dead those were two of right. his like most prominent villains the one of the mm-hmm. other ones was Manape, who was played by winston duke Mbaku, and he's like made an ally in this mm-hmm. so the real thing one of the things i really hope or hope to see from the black panther sequel is the real true ramifications of mm. people literally coming back from the dead after five years. Cause I feel like that mm-hmm. whole thing has been mm-hmm. really, cause the, the movie that came out after Endgame was far from home, but far from home took a little bit more of a comedic approach with it, mm-hmm. which I really want to see the emotional ramifications of people coming back after five mm-hmm. years of being dust. Right. Like, right. I don't think, and how does, cause who was in charge of Wakanda while black Panther was dusted? Exactly. Is there going Were they to be just an like <laughs> exactly like where there had to be some shift in like their societal norms and their culture w- during that time where he was away? No, I agree. I think we could do a whole conversation on Black Panther. So your first of 2019 that you enjoyed the most was Adventures in Game. What's number two? Well, number two was the movie I did not expect to absolutely adore. Okay, Joker. Yes, Joker. I now mean, wait, you didn't expect to enjoy that? Really? Well, Tell I know, no, no. That. I mean, like, okay, I, I knew, of course, I was going to enjoy it, but I didn't expect okay. to absolutely adore to it. Adore it, I, okay? Because I, okay. wow. I mean, there's so much to unpack with that one. Agreed, agreed. I agree. I, I, when I saw the first trailer, and sometimes I watch like movie trailers on Apple TV, and then. Obviously, I see movie trailers when I go to the movies, and then sometimes I'll watch them on YouTube. When I saw the first trailer on Joker for Joker, it was actually on YouTube. And I remember seeing it and just watch. For one, I love Joaquin Phoenix. I've liked Joaquin Phoenix since back in the day when he was in the village with M. Night Shyamalan. Like, I just, he, for me, 
takes character portrayal to like an entirely different level where he becomes the character. I loved him in oh. her and just brilliant actor. So when I saw the pre the trailer and saw that it was going to be him, I, unlike you expected to adore it and was going to be really disappointed if it wasn't good. So I was really grateful that it not only met, but in a lot of ways exceeded my expectations. So yeah. Oh, I had no doubt that he would do a, a crazy performance because, you know, I've seen, I've heard this is his performances in like really good movies. It's just mm-hmm. DC just has a real issue with its mm-hmm. live action stuff. So I thought, is this going to be like a typical, you know, DC style movie where they're trying to match Avengers too mm-hmm. soon into the game? Uh, is this mm-hmm. going to be what kind of films is going to be? And then when I saw it, it was like, oh, so this was more like a like for DC movies. I believe the litmus was Dark Knight. Okay. For live action, I believe the litmus was like mm-hmm. the the Dark Knight. And of course, you know, of course, you're going to have things where you're going to compare. One of the biggest mm-hmm. questions Gask is I've been asked is, and I think we can talk about this is. Mm-hmm. Who did a better Joker, Heath or Joaquin? And mm. that's such an unfair question to ask because here's here's what I've here's the conclusion after much thought that I've come to. Okay. Heath Ledger portrayed the perfect Joker as he served as an antagonist to the Batman that Christian Bale was portraying. Yes. He he served the perfect antagonistic role to the protagonist. Right. The Joker Agreed. that we see in Joaquin's is that he is a protagonist. So mm-hmm. I see Joaquin as the perfect protagonist Joker and Heath as the perfect antagonist Joker. So right. they both did phenomenal um, Paragon work in the mm-hmm. roles they were given. Right. Agreed. Agreed. It's not like they were both given the same role and given the same, you know, they're not even necessarily given the same character in a lot of ways to play. And then it's like, what do you guys think of Joaquin in this role versus Heath as opposed to separating the two? Like you said, an antagonist and a protagonist and recognizing that as with people, you know, as with the human experience, there's times where the antagonist of your character may be the thing that's being highlighted or portrayed versus the protagonist. So yeah, I agree. I think that was, that's a great way of describing it. And I think that's where a lot of viewers, um, I guess they're, they were unexpectedly, you know, surprised, like, wait a minute, we were thinking this was going to be just Joaquin's version of the antagonistic Joker that we saw in dark Knight, which it wasn't. It's funny. It's funny. Um, if you look at the, all the ways the Joker has been portrayed in, in media, um, mm-hmm. of course, you know, his comic is his origins. But when you look at the way that he was portrayed by Cesar Romero in like the 1966, he was very much like the almost like a prankster. But that was yes. 1966. And, exactly. you know, you right. know, you couldn't go as dark as Batman has gotten nowadays exactly when you look at jack nicholson jack nicholson is the gangster the mob boss Mm. Mm -hmm. when you look at heath ledger heath ledger's the anarchist Mm. 
And you yeah. you look at, or even if you look at the short reign of, of Jared Leto, who's some mm-hmm. people called him like the psychopath, but we didn't really see yeah. enough of his Joker to make too much of a thing. But I, right. but Joaquin was called like the failed comedian. Mm. Was in a sense he was the comedian in a sense, mm-hmm. or or something along those lines. And those are just the live action Jokers. Like for right. in terms of like animation, Mark Hamill you know, right. play Luke Skywalker in any animated film, he holds the litmus as animated Joker. But the idea is it's, it's different takes on the character. And I feel like the, they really did really good takes, especially mm. Joaquin did takes on this one, because I absolutely saw, I didn't see the origin of a supervillain. I saw mm-hmm. what happens when a completely broken down society pushes a timid man just a few inches past his breaking point. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's relatable, you know, especially in present day, you know, society, the world that we live in. And I like that you kind of took us on a little journey of like the Cesar Romero Joker from the 60s to the Jack Nicholson Joker of the 80s. And then the Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger Joker of the early 2000s. And then now we have the Joaquin Phoenix Joker of nearly 2020. And it shows, I mean, it, all, it actually shows like a breakdown in society over time in a lot of ways. You know, it shows like how far um, people, you know, the average man is actually being pushed, you know, in, in this day and age. And even though Joaquin's Joker wasn't necessarily, I guess, what, like, present day it wasn't necessarily 2019 in that story um based on you know certain aspects of it but it was still relatable to the average person today who might be experiencing like high stress or gone through trauma or any type of you know different but disabilities or anything like that that could be pushed to that edge i think that's where it is speaking to a lot of people of that are able to look at it and say wow i see how one too many bad days. <laughs> can... that's, that's exactly the. And it's so funny you say that. That's exactly what Joker says to Batman repeatedly. He says, mm. "You know, you're just one bad day from becoming me. All it mm. takes is one bad day." Yeah, and that's because yeah. it kind of maybe that's the idea of where they went with this one. But mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the villains that are portrayed or a lot, a lot of the best villains in comic book mm-hmm. history, they mm-hmm. always have understandable motivations for why they kind of went, why they kind of went oh. dark. Yeah. Yeah. Especially and Batman I, villains. They're all mentally sick. Right. Right. But when you think about it, it's kind of like you think of like, you know, mentally sick, like they belong in Arkham Asylum versus like present day person who maybe this person is dealing with anxiety or depression and they need proper intervention or medication. Could they, could they end up villainous like the characters from these comic books or if they have the right intervention, could they possibly be saved? We have to look into that one, another conversation. Yeah. So we all have, I will say is that mm-hmm. Arkham Asylum is literally a joke in terms of mental rehabilitation. Of they, course. They throw I, them in there and don't give them any mind until they break back out. Mm, so it's really just like a holding cell it's basically just a, it's just a cycle mm-hmm. is what it is it's, it's a cycle exactly and that's yeah. the whole thing we'll discuss the uh 
we can yeah. discuss like the psychology of Batman and that whole thing yeah. later, but like, yeah, we'll do that. So we have Avengers Endgame and Joker as two. What's the third best that you've seen in 2019? Well, I mean, so in terms of best, it wasn't really a movie that came out in 2019, but it's one I discovered okay. for the first time. Okay. Which was sure. the movie Seven. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah, Brad Pitt, <gasps> Morgan Freeman, and um, so here's the thing: Kevin Spacey. Kevin mm-hmm. Spacey. I knew, mm. I knew little to nothing. All I knew about Seven was that it was the Seven Deadly Sins, and that this guy was killing people in the Seven Deadly Sins. But what's in the box? Oh, I okay. I got really excited. I love Seven. And because, you know, it did, I saw Seven in the theater just to, you know, let you know how old and aged yeah. I am. But I saw Seven in the movie theater and I remember seeing, you know, previews for it back when they would show like commercials on TV, previews and stuff like that for movies. I remember going to see it and being in the theater terrified in a lot of ways, like, holy smokes, this is deep. And every person, who was in the theater was looking around like, whoa. And I think it's because at the time, because Seven came out, what, in the... Like, yeah, 1990 or something. Late, yeah, and the early, I'd say maybe early, mid to mid-90s. And when you think about, like, the progression of, you know, the movies about, you know, crime stories, hadn't really gone that dark yeah. as of yet. Yeah, You know, so it was kind of one of the first of its kind that went down that road of... Oh, because, you know, you had Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Of course, um, you know, Seven came out. And then there was like, uh, you know, some other. Oh, God, there was like Long Kiss Goodnight was another movie. But that wasn't really about a serial killer. But you had movies that were starting to kind of push the edge of how dark can we go when it comes to portraying people, regular people, you know, cut that kind of go over the edge. And yeah, that's kind of the scariest type of horror for me. It's not the <laughs> demons, it's not zombies, it's not vampires, werewolves. It's the fact that regular people can actually be like the things that we do mm. to one another. And they, yeah, the the for for me the freakiest mm-hmm. was the fact that he kept that one dude alive for a year, yes. that, that, that one course of life for a year. When I saw him jump up like that, oh my god, he's still oh my god. Like you kept this dude alive for the whole time, like on the edge of death, like with the air fresheners in the room, the little green. Oh my god! And it and it was also brutal because you have like you know Brad Pitt's this young investigator and he's trying to get to the bottom, and then I remember it's funny story. So Seth hadn't actually seen Seven, and I didn't realize that he hadn't seen it because he was talking about it. And he must have watched something on YouTube, but he didn't know, like, what's in the box. He didn't know, like, what that meant. And I remember him asking me, he's like, so what's in the box? I was like, oh, his wife's head. And I just said it so fast. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Seven, go watch yeah. it. Again, it came out in the 90s. So you've had plenty yeah. of time. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> I had seen, like, a compilation of the top twist endings on YouTube, but I didn't have any context. So I knew... There was something in a box. I just didn't know mm. what it was. But here's the thing. Here's the mm-hmm. thing. Okay. I complete. I was so engrossed in the movie, I completely forgot Kevin Spacey was even in it. Oh. And so, what, here, okay. th- let me tell you this little story. So, I'm okay. watching the movie, right? I'm watching it with my mom. And mm-hmm. there's a scene where um, 
the guy, Kevin, uh, I think he was uh, John Doe was his name in the movie. Mm-hmm. He yep. takes a picture of Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman as he's mm-hmm. taking the phone. Now, we don't see his face because, you know, he shoot out of there and we find out later mm-hmm. that that was, you know, him. But here's yep. the thing. We pause it on a specific frame and mm-hmm. I only need to see the side of the dude's face. I don't, mm-hmm. he's, he's got the, he's got a, He's got a fedora on. He's wearing a jacket. I only see the side of his dude's face. And I go, Mom, I think that's Kevin Spacey. Mm. And I'm like, no, because and, – and she goes, you know, I thought it was – I think it's like Gary Oldman or something like that. <laughs> oh, and yeah, so right. we keep watching the movie. And, of mm-hmm. course, I hear the voice of Kevin Spacey over the phone. I'm like, no, that's definitely Kevin Spacey. That's de- mm-hmm. Because what I realized was they didn't put Kevin Spacey's name – in the opening credits. No. To throw you off. No. Because if they did, you would have immediately known, okay, well, obviously that dude's probably the, the guy the killer. doing this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They didn't want to give it away. They didn't, yeah, it's like they didn't advertise it like, um, like, you know, Silence of the Lambs featuring Anthony Hopkins. It wasn't like that. It was more like, I think the only images that are on the original movie poster is Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. I don't even know if Kevin Spacey's picture appears on there. but It isn't, but... Okay. It worked for Sons of the Lambs because Anthony Hopkins was not actually the killer. He was just a consultant to take down the real one. Exactly. Okay. Well, those are good. So let me ask you, um, going backtrack a little bit to the things you're most passionate about. We have film, TV, and video games. Now, you mentioned that you have a bachelor's in screenwriting and history. What made you decide to to study both simultaneously in college? Well, here's the thing. Um, mm-hmm. I had a real affinity for history. I discovered in high school I had a, an affinity for history because I liked the the stories you could pull out. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm interested in anything that has a potential story. Or okay. So that's why war history is in my favorite. It can be a war from any era, like almost any era, because there's war, there's individual stories to be told in war. I mean, there's a reason why we have a World War II movie every single other year in Hollywood because mm. there's individual stories that you can pull out of it like okay. a, a, a whole bunch of different people but um mm-hmm. so the thing was truthfully mm-hmm. I was actually going to pursue a screenwriting major and theater minor because I love to act I love theater I love uh, performance mm-hmm what switched it to a history minor was that my parents kind of wanted to, me to get something a little bit more <laughs> financially grounded, right? <laughs> financially, fiscally stable, you know? Okay, right. Something to fall back on just in case. Yeah. And truthfully, they wanted it to be a history major and a screenwriting minor. So in, in all actuality, this, the double major was kind of a, both a compromise and kind of a, also a chore because let me tell you. Okay. I have never had to write more. I've never had to write or read more mm-hmm. in four years in these four years than I ever have in my entire life. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I mean, when you, I remember when you first went into college, and then I remember kind of talking to you. You know, once you were in school, and then once you graduated, I'm like, wow, he really did it because I can only imagine the amount of material that you would have to consume to be able to graduate with a degree in both of those fields. And let me ask you, did you find 
And once you started to kind of dive into and really, really study history, did you find that the stories that are being portrayed in entertainment media are an accurate reflection of history for the well, most part? Well, it's definitely embellished. It's definitely okay. embellished. It's funny. On a side note, before we fully answer that, yeah. is on uh-huh. a side note, is that my little brother is working, was working on an annotated bibliography. And I remember, oh, those are never oh, fun to God. do. And so I have to think, well, how long is the essay you have to write? And he goes, well, it's a speech. It's only three pages. And I had to resist the urge to laugh out loud because I'm like, three pages three is a 20 minute excursion for me. That's like, exactly. I can do that on a treadmill. Exactly. Exactly. I can dictate that to Siri and she'll write it for me. Yeah, literally, I can do that on a treadmill. I can do three pages right. on a treadmill. That was like, wow. But anyway, um, yeah, definitely some serious embellishments. And it's funny because when I um, I used to think the movie Troy was an actual depiction of the Iliad, and I was so completely wrong, but I learned that in oh. high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are definitely some stories that get told a lot more over others, and there are some people you learn about in history that did so much and that you never really hear their names. Like, okay, everybody mm. knows who Edison is, right? Yes. Everybody knows the dude was supposedly, you know, he made With the key and the kite. The key and the electricity. kite, electricity. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about Nikola Tesla. Not nobody, until recently. No, yeah. <laughs> nobody talks about the fact that this dude, Tesla, was heavily autistic. Mm. Nobody talks about the fact that he was actually going to make the quicker, more efficient alternating current. He was going to do make it free. Completely mm. 100% free. No electric mm. companies. He just wanted to work. Mm. So Tesla was like, you can just, yeah, I'm making it free. I just want to have the freedom to continue my experiment. So it's mm-hmm. free. Like, please have it free. I mean, can you imagine free electricity? Right. Like it would be like as free as the sun is basically. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Like how we don't, as of now, we don't have to pay for sun light. No, we don't. Uh, we have to pay for clean water, but we, and there was a time when we didn't have to pay for clean water. There was a time when like your mom was a kid when I was a kid and we went to school and we could just drink water from the fountain and we weren't afraid of catching, you know, some scary disease, but now yeah. you have to pay for everything. But that's an interesting point. And I think you're, I think you, you, you touched on something there that there are a lot of people, there's like celebrities in history, the ones that we hear about all the time. And then there's like the people behind the scenes that we didn't hear about. Why do you think that is that someone as I would say as infamous as like Nikola Tesla doesn't get portrayed in entertainment media as much as somebody like Thomas Edison? I don't know, but I will say this. It could also be, and this is completely the unfiltered opinion. Tesla was also Serbian. So we don't, I don't think oh. our current culture is mm. ready for that yet. So yeah, mm. Tesla is also known as the Serbian. So mm. there's a lot of okay. political thing in there too. Yeah, which is, a, which is a good topic that I think we'll touch on on your podcast is, is the way that entertainment media is used for political propaganda. Like, and, mm-hmm. like I recently just saw uh, Hidden Figures. I, have you seen Hidden oh, Figures? Oh yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've so. Seen it. 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't have made that movie, is the thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and nobody would have even known that these three women were basically the ones that basically made sure those astronauts got up and then got back down. Mm-hmm. Or, exactly. you know. No, that's a good point. And that's, that's a good – and I think that that's where filmmakers like yourself, you know, future filmmakers like yourself, writers, screenwriters, storytellers like you – 
are so valuable because there's a boldness about your willingness to find these stories and tell these stories. Because while it's nice to go to the movies or watch a movie and be entertained the way we are with movies like Avengers and Joker and Seven, it's also important for entertainment to be educational and for it to be a, a, a social justice tool and a tool to actually teach people about our history and yeah. how it relates to what's happening today. Yeah. Cause absolutely. like I, I'm, a, I'm a bit afraid to tell this over a podcast cause I don't want anybody okay. to like steal like my ideas, but I got ideas for like two unsung people in like war history, both in completely different eras, but nobody Ooh. really ever. Okay. Talks about them. We have to keep that one tight. Well, if you share it, I'll, I'll edit it out. So we don't keep it in the podcast, but no, I think that's a great idea. How far along are you with writing those stories? I haven't really started on those yet, but I'm, I'm just like trying to get myself into like the good mindset. I mean, I have researched a little bit of it. Okay. This would be more along the lines of like a mini series, if anything. Oh, okay. 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 I like that. So let me ask you this while you were in school, um, while you're in college, were you required to write or produce any any film projects while you were doing that? Well, for my Prod 200 class, which was essentially when you, whenever you're, um, when I had to take a, um, okay, mm-hmm. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Yep. When you uh, when you had to be in order to be a film major, you had to take this one class that basically taught you the the job of basically mm. the job you had to write. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, film and produce like your own separate film. So we had to produce mm. uh, the we had to produce three films in this one class. Okay. We had to write, produce, and film these three films in this one class. So you basically learn the logistics of everything. Mm. It was as a screenwriter, it was kind of hard for me to do all the jobs. However, what it did do was provide for me a humility. And an absolute respect for the people that, you know, have to go out to get, like, the permits mm-hmm. or um, the, those who actually have to get the camera equipment or the sound design or the editors. Because I had to do all of that stuff myself. Okay. And honestly, permits. Nobody likes mm. getting permits. No. no you don't. <laughs> it's dealing with, like, the city and counties. City and, and counties. And yeah. when you're doing it in L.A., <laughs> you actually have to go physically go down to the office in order to pick it up right right they don't make it easy what made you choose screenwriting as far as like the roles in a production what made you choose screenwriting it allows the imagination for me to flow the freest in a sense Mm. and besides Mm -hmm. screenwriters you know can work their way up to uh screenwriters can also connect well with uh some actors also Mm -hmm. and actors can also become directors so i feel like screenwriting actually provides an imaginative aspect to it yeah i agree i i think if there were any aspect of of production that i feel the most drawn to or aligned with is screenwriting because the way i see it is this it all begins with the story you know everything that we see on screen began with like pen to paper, so to speak, began with somebody telling a story. Every word, you know, that we see, every image that we see started in the mind of a writer. So I, 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 can, I, can, I can respect that. Time for a break. Time for a breather. One thing that we often forget to do as we move throughout our lives, throughout our day 
is to breathe. So I invite you right now to allow three deep intentional breaths to enter and exit your body. And by the time you're done, we will be ready to continue. Thank you so much for listening. So do you have favorites, like favorite directors, favorite actors, favorite characters? Uh, well, you know, things, you know, change, you know, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I absorb new ones. Um, I mean, I, um, I, I love Spielberg's work, you know, he has a very, mm-hmm. he has a very sort of whimsy about a lot of his films, even in like, you know, films like, you know, you know, his classics, E.T., Jurassic e. Park, so there's always a, a whimsy. Mm-hmm. That goes with that that Spielberg charm. Mm-hmm. Um, what other directors do I like? Uh, well, my dad got me hooked on Tarantino, so I really love his okay. style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino has like an adult whimsy. An adult whimsy, yeah, <laughs> definitely an adult <laughs> yes. whimsy. And uh, in terms of like a director that I, I don't know. Okay, okay. Do you ever want to get into that chair in the into the role of directing? After I gain experience, then yeah. Okay. And if it's something I'm really passionate about, then maybe yes. Okay, I can see that. So as a screenwriter, what types of stories do you want to tell? What are the ones that you think are the most important? Stories, uh, I think it's probably a story that I really most connect with, which is a, I connect with like the person who is, without giving it being given a chance is already written off by people because I connect with that person Mm. a lot. I connected Mm. with that because, you know, growing up with Asperger's and autism, a lot of doctors and specialists would tell you, okay, well, he's probably not going to be able to comprehend this, or he's probably not going to be able to connect with these people. or He's probably not going to be able to get, be awarded the same opportunities. And so, you know, that diagnosis, which is such a mm. double, it's a double-edged sword, that word, because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get the idea that, you know, the diagnosis is like, oh, well, that's something he's going to be, he's labeled as, and it's, mm. he's going to be stuck as that. So I write stories mm. about people who overcome that mm. and, you know, who are able to push past that or sometimes even use it to their advantage because that's like the one that's the guy we root for anyway in all these movies mm-hmm. and that's true of course he he isn't going to be perfect of course he's going to have some issues but mm-hmm. why we but we love watching them because they overcome those issues or you know at least strive to overcome those issues yeah no i i like that it's like writing about the person that people underestimate in a lot of ways as well or the the person that's you know, in the shadows sometimes in a lot of ways. And I think those are characters that people really relate to. I think that's why when I think about my favorites in as far as like comic characters, I always love the X-Men and Hmm. the X-Men as a whole, you know, all 55 million of them. (laughs) There's always like new ones, it seems. But I really, I connected with those characters because of the fact that they were considered mutants and they were therefore different and they were therefore scary or they were therefore less than. And in reality, their, their mutations, quote unquote, much like diagnoses were actually their superpowers. It was the thing that made them 
in a lot of ways. Do you know mm-hmm. what you know what X Men was is Stanley's allegory, right? You know you know what that's a what the allegory for X Men is, right? No, but you're gonna tell me. <laughs> okay. I want you to think okay. about something. Okay. It's a new thing. So X Men, they're mm-hmm. a, they're they don't they're genetically born with their powers. Mm-hmm. It isn't given to them. Mm-hmm. And in the X Men, you've got two factions. Well, well, three okay. factions. You've got the mm-hmm. humans mm-hmm. who fear them and don't understand them. Mm-hmm. You've got the X Men. You've got the Brotherhood. The Brotherhood's run by Magneto. Mm-hmm. Leading the X Men is Professor X. He okay. believes that humans and mutants can exist, coexist peacefully. Mm-hmm. Magneto is for that he believes that the the mutants should be reign supreme. Mm, separate and apart from the humans. Correct. Also. Okay. Both mm-hmm. factions want the protection of mutants and both sides have incredible have respect for one another. Mm. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah. It's like the same it's like two sides of the same coin. In, in a sense, sense. Mm-hmm. you you want you want to hear the mind bomb? I do. Give oh. it to me. Ready? <laughs> yep. Listeners, ready? You guys, ready? Okay. Professor X is Martin Luther King. Magneto is Malcolm X. Oh, that makes so much sense. X Men is Stan <sighs> Lee's critique on the civil rights movement. That's wow. that's what it is. That's that's that that was his origins. That's that's where he came up with the idea for this. That's why he creates these two opposing mm. factions who, for the most part, aren't really they they have the same agenda. They just have different ideologies, and that's why there's there's never a bitter rivalry. I mean, of course, there's a disagreement, but mm-hmm. there's a definite respect that you've seen in all of these movies. There's a respect Everyone. between of them mm-hmm. because. Like, Eric absolutely respects Charles Xavier, and Charles understands Eric. And that's mm-hmm. why they, they can be on the same side when they're pushed to, but there's that consistent, you know, friction between them. But it's, right. but it's absolutely the idea of, you know, the, these people, like the civil rights, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're being put into, like, you know, they're being put into camps, they're being protested. Right. They're, right, right. And that's what the allegory is, is that these people with superpowers and how it can actually be. But what X-Men plays mm-hmm. off of is mm-hmm. the fear of anything different. Of anything different. Exactly. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's definitely going to blow some people's minds for those who've never thought about it that way. And it makes so much sense because in the, you know, the X-Men world, in the X-Men universe, the relationship between Charles and Eric is very much a brotherhood. You know, they're very much there. There's an alignment between them while their approaches are different. Their intentions is ultimately the protection of mutants is the is the is the protection of their life, their livelihood and their their right to exist and coexist with humans, with humanity that they instead of being, you know, stepped on or, you know, obliterated. Um, that there there should be or there could be a way for them to kind of all exist, maybe not harmoniously but to coexist nonetheless. So that, that's good. Uh, okay. So 
Before we wrap up, I like to do a part of my podcast called Finish the Sentence. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a sentence prompt to you and you can finish it however you want. And this is just going to be a little bit more about like you and uh, your personality. And then we're going to throw some film questions in there too. So the first one is when I was young, I imagined myself to be when I was young, I imagined myself to be something, somebody of, uh, somebody everybody wanted to be around. Somebody of, you know, somebody, I guess you could say somebody famous um, mm. in a sense. Somebody, somebody you just wanted to be around and you, and you didn't want to judge so quickly. You know? mm. I am happiest when. I'm happiest when. I can be there for people or when somebody else is happy because of something that I've done. Mm. I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered for basically the, basically just, if nothing else, just being a person that people could come to and it would make them feel better. You know, just want to be like a Mm. way to just to be, you know, I just want to be able to impact people positively, even if that just means, you know, mm-hmm. giving them being a friendly face to say hi to or mm. or just, you know, just just letting them know that there is somebody out there who does think about them. Mm. If I could teach the world a lesson. Oh, <laughs> that was an easy one. If I could teach the world a lesson. It'd be to do not judge a guy by his diagnosis, just by his character. Hmm. Very good. When I hear this word or this phrase, I feel powerful. What is that? Um, when I hear this, uh, I hear when I hear the word unique or when I hear the word um, exceptional. Hmm. And I showed myself love today by... Well, after it's actually a long winded thing. Um, okay. I've had a long battle with social media, which is like something else we can absolutely discuss. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. That, mm-hmm. that's a whole separate podcast. Um, it is. But yes. I was showing myself a lot of love because before uh, when this morning happened, I was feeling a little bit down in the dumps that it wasn't uh, I didn't know anything about this event that a bunch of people that I know were going to. And I mm. only heard about it after social media. And mm-hmm. I showed myself love by accepting that if I couldn't have known about it, there was no way for me to know about it. And the God did not place me there for a reason, mm-hmm. you right. know? So, and I, ha- I have to basically, I told myself to, you know, stop harping on what would have could have happened because I'm focusing on what's still happening. What's still happening is that I would be talking to you and mm-hmm. that, in about a couple hours, I would be going to my first official uh, film set gig. Yes, that's so dope. I'm so excited about that. That's really cool. So the way that I like to end each podcast is I have this little deck of cards that has these affirmations on it. And it's a deck of 52. So pick a number between 1 and 52. Three. Three. Okay. So the message on card number three is solar powered here comes the sun clear beautiful light is shining on everything right now all you need unfolds easily before you decisions are a snap 
as you pirouette into the ease of your own power, of your own unlimited connection to God and the universe. You can bask in this knowing that light shines on everything you need to know today. So that is a wrap. We are, yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Seriously. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to be a part of this podcast. And um, like I said, for those who are listening, uh, Duane has an upcoming podcast that we are in the very early stages of developing, but um, we are going to bring you some really really great content. We're going to dive a little more into film, TV, video games, social topics, and a whole bunch of different things. So you'll be sure to hear... Yeah, I may, I may, or I've been working on a little bit of a one man show on what it's like to have a guy or what it's like to have an autistic brain in like 2020. And you know how it's, it's basically going to be kind of an allegory on how far we've fallen from social interaction Mm. and coming from a guy who's trying to learn the rules in a world where the rules are really changing. I've already written some stuff out and we're going, I might even share a few of that stuff and okay, you know, it's going to be like some pretty hard hitting stuff. I don't really hold back with it. I love it. And, and as an artist, as a creator, I don't think we're supposed to. I think that God has planted certain messages, certain stories and gifts in us that are meant to be shared. And, you know, like that song, like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I think that's what it really means is like to shine the light that lives in you so that others can actually see and learn and be inspired. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you so much. Okay. No problem. All right. Okay. Peace. Peace. It's time to wrap this up. And I just want to say very sincerely, thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day. And I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now in this moment, I see the light. I see the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity, and the pure joy that shines within each of you. And I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.